Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our lead pastor, Dave Ferguson, as we continue our series, Jesus Is. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good, 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 good. Hey, I'll tell you, before I jump in, I have uh, kind of a big announcement, some exciting news I wanted to share with you and for us to kind of celebrate together. Uh, If you've been around for a little while, you know we're in the middle of a two-year kind of initiative called One uh, that's all about helping more and more people find their way back to God. And at the end of our last series, The Power of One, we gave brand new people, households, an opportunity to kind of jump in and say, you know what, I want to be a part of this even at the halfway point. And so I want to kind of give you some news on that. And so we're proud and excited to announce that at the end of that Power of One series, we had, check this out, we had 461 brand new households make commitments to the One Initiative. Is that awesome? That's right. Good job. And uh, that 461 brings our grand total to 1,533 households that have made financial commitments to One and to help people find their way back to God. Yes. And um, the kind of the bottom line of this too, very exciting. An additional one, over $1.4 million was committed to the One Initiative. That's just, that's. And um, I'll tell you what, I want to just say this to you. Those, those are numbers, but I also want to say this. Those aren't just numbers. Those are people, as we've been challenging you, who've said, you know what? I want to make God number one in my life. And, and I've been one of those people who found my way back. I want to help other people find their way back to God as well. And... Um, I'll tell you what, I get a chance to kind of travel and, 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 and teach with other church leaders and be exposed to a lot of other churches. And I want you to know how extraordinarily proud I am of you as a church and your continued commitment to say, you know what, it's not all about me, it's about the mission and to be dedicated to that. And um, I'll tell you, in, in, the, in the talk today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a story, what I think is just an amazing story of life change. And I think it's just, a, a, as you hear that, um, I hope it's another reminder to you of why we do what we do, all right? So I'll tell you what, do me a favor, we're gonna jump in here, just turn to someone next to you, pat them on the back, say, way to go, all right? Just pat them back, say, way to go, good job, community, way to go, there you go, <laughs> nicely done, all right? All right, um, our big idea for today is this, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is always with you. It kind of sounds like something church people say, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And... Uh, it's true, Jesus is here, but it also, it's, just, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Okay, yes, but like, where? You know, is it, is it back here? <laughs> I mean, where, where is he if he's here? Theologically, this is a profound, very important truth. Jesus has always been here. He's been present, and we go all the way back to Genesis, in every moment, in every event, in all of human history. Now, if you don't believe me, um, Maybe you should just, uh, have, you, have you checked out Jesus' Instagram account? You knew he had an Instagram account, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, check this out. He has an Instagram account. He has uh, 2.2 billion followers, okay? And he, he's one of those guys, if you follow him, he always follows you back. It's kind of nice. In fact, actually, he follows everybody. He, he's following 7.2 billion people. And, and we thought just to kind of illustrate how he's always here, we'll take a look. I mean, if we go back through history, look at this. Uh, here it is, George Washington crossing the Delaware, it's on Jesus' birthday. Didn't get a chance to celebrate, but if you look closely, guess, look who's there. Right? Right there. Or even if we, uh, Lincoln, right? 
when he was given the Gettysburg Address. Now, back then, we didn't, the, the pixels, we didn't have as many pixels, so it's kind of blurry. But if you look closely, Jesus is there, and Abe doesn't seem too happy about the photo. But anyway, it's there, okay? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. on the steps of the Lincoln there you go, Memorial, right there, there. Well, there's Jesus, he's there, right? When Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon for the very first time, guess who was there, right? He was there. And, and even last fall, it was a big historic event here in Chicago, and, and, and look, look who was there. Right? How else can you explain the Cubs winning the World Series, right? <laughs> Had to give my Sox fans a little something there. I know, I know. We're two and two, so yeah. Here's the deal. Jesus is always here. But let me ask you this. What about times when it feels like Jesus wasn't there? What about, let's go back periods of history where people were, you know, sold and bought like cattle. What about times in even contemporary history where you have a Hitler or a Stalin or a Mao Zedong that took millions of innocent lives? I think a lot of us were glued to our TV sets this past week, and we saw the images of 86 dead, including 27 children, in that chemical attack in Syria. Where was Jesus? Well, let's get a little closer to home, okay? Let's go a little closer to home personally. No matter how old you are, maybe some of you, where, where was Jesus when your mom and dad split up? Where was Jesus when you went bankrupt? Where was Jesus when that person who was close to you died? Now, if you see some of us, when we walk through these doors as kind of church people, if that's who we are, we go, oh yeah, Jesus was there, but there's something in our hearts, right? Something in our hearts and our own experience to go, was he? I mean, was he, was he really there? I'm not sure it felt like it. One of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of John, he wrote one of the four gospels. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth one, John. He tells this story about a pair of sisters who felt like Jesus wasn't there. The story starts in John chapter 11, and Jesus gets this message from these two sisters, Mary and Martha, that their brother, Lazarus, yes, we got Mary and Martha, and Lazarus is very sick. Now, Jesus is extraordinarily close to these three siblings. In fact, John, in his gospel, he even writes about it, and he, and he says he loved them. Jesus loved them dearly. And so Mary and Martha, they reach out to Jesus, because if Lazarus is sick, if anybody could do something about this, I mean, Jesus could, right? And so Jesus hears the news but instead of rushing to Lazarus' side, he waits. I don't know why he waits, but he waits. And he finally decides to go to Mary and Martha. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead now for four days. When the sisters receive the news that Jesus is approaching the town, Martha, Mary got Mary and Martha, Martha rushes out to meet him. And he rushes out to meet him, and, and, and here's, here's what she says. She says this to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you hear the pain? Can you hear the questioning in her voice? Jesus, where were you? Why weren't you here? And so Martha and Jesus talk a bit. They go back and forth. Martha goes back to the house and then tells Mary, 
hey, Mary, Jesus wants to, wants to talk to you. And so now Mary, the other sister, goes out, and immediately when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell on his feet and she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And, and don't you, I mean, you really get to get the feeling of these two sisters, I mean, for the last several days they've been talking. And they both agree. Jesus let us down. He wasn't there when we needed him. And so, I mean, they're friends. So, I mean, they just kind of tell him, Lord, if you'd been here, why weren't you here? You did all these things for other people. Why wouldn't you do this one thing for us? Have you ever ever been there? That place where you felt forgotten, you felt abandoned, and you wondered, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? And let's just, let's have the, let's have the courage to say, I think we've all been there. Sandy was um, uh, a friend of Sue and, and mine. Uh, she's one of those people who overcame a whole lot of stuff um, just to make it into adulthood. Uh, her dad abandoned Sandy and her mom when she was just a baby and, and so left Sandy's mom to, to raise Sandy all on her own. And Sandy's mom struggled to make ends meet, and when things didn't go so well, as was often the case, she would turn to alcohol. So Sandy grew up never knowing her dad and only knowing her mom through this kind of glaze of alcoholism. And she said the predominant experience of her childhood was feeling alone. There's one story in particular she told me, and this is, it stuck with me, and we, we've, we've, we've included it in some of the books that we've written, and, and it went like this. She said, I remember being eight years old. Sandy told me this. I remember being eight years old, and my mom said we were going to go visit my aunt. I love my aunt. I was excited about going to visit my aunt, and, but we had to take the train, which made it even more fun to go visit my aunt. And so we went to the train station to catch the train to go visit my aunt, but my mom, once again, had way, 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 way too much to drink. So while we're waiting on the bench for the train to come, Sandy told me her mom just passed out. Sandy, but think about this now. Get the picture. She's eight years old. She's trying to wake her up. Mom, mom. She can't wake her up. She's trying to wake her up. Mom, mom. Can't wake her up. Couldn't wake her up. And so here she is as this little eight-year-old at this train station, not knowing who to tell, not knowing where to go. And she said, the feeling I had in that moment was just a desperate kind of aloneness. Sandy said, that that feeling, that feeling followed me into adulthood, and it followed me into my marriage. And it was like aloneness, this feeling of aloneness kind of just always stalked me. And she said, even even as I tried to grow close to God, sometimes I would wonder, like, God, where were you? I I mean, I I was so alone. Why weren't you there? One of the things I find really interesting about this story, if you go back and read the story about Mary and Martha and Lazarus, one of the things I find interesting about this story is that Jesus actually never explains. He doesn't even explain why he wasn't there or why it felt like he wasn't there. I wonder if that could be, maybe it's because Mary and Martha, their story, so we could, re- we could relate to it because their story is a lot like ours. A lot of us, aren't we? If we're candid, I mean, we believe, but we're left kind of wondering why in that moment it felt like we were so alone. But it's later, later in Mary and Martha's story, Jesus, he shows up. And when he shows up, he shows up with exactly what they needed. 
And it's been my experience and the experience of many people, okay, that Jesus does show up and he shows up with exactly what we need. And here's my hope. For any of you who've had that experience of feeling alone or abandoned or wondering in the moment, where is God? My prayer for you and my prayer going up into the day was this, that Jesus would show up for you today. I want to go back to the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Okay, so the sisters, the sisters are grieving. They're grieving this devastating loss, and they're asking Jesus, just like, Jesus, why weren't you here? And so Jesus responds. First of all, he responds to the first sister. He responds to Martha, and he says this. Listen, Martha, your brother will rise again. He'll rise again. And then Martha, she responds with an extraordinary amount of faith. She says, I know. I do know. I know he's going to rise again. She knew there was more to this life than just the afterlife. And so Jesus then says to Martha, he says this to her, you can see on the screen, he says, listen, Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. With me, here's the truth, Martha. It is never too late. I am the power of life itself. and, And even death can't overcome that. Jesus doesn't, give her this kind of this apologetic for how there could be death in a world with a good God. He doesn't go into all the explanation of how bad things can happen to good people. But what Jesus does, he is perfectly now present with her. He knows Martha. He knows exactly what she needs. That she has for for the last four days been moving towards despair. And so now Jesus pushes against her hopelessness and he gives her exactly what she needs. and And he gives her this word of truth called hope. He gives her hope. I, I had a mentor, actually a guy named Lau Shao, who lived over on Benton Street, passed away about two years ago. And uh, one of the things he used to always tell me, he said, hey Dave, every Sunday, every Sunday when people show up, no matter what you're talking about, you make sure you give them hope. You make sure you give them hope. And I think that's what's happening in the moment here. He's given her this truth of hope. And we know what Jesus says actually hits the mark, whether it hits the mark for you or not, but it hits the mark for Martha because then Martha replies for this in verse 27. He says this, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's coming to this world. And what Martha's doing now is she's reassuring herself that she does know who Jesus is and that within him there is always hope. What Martha needed, okay, what she needed, her unique personality in that moment was she needed the truth, the truth, the truth about hope. And Jesus was there to speak it into her life. Well, next comes... Mary, the other sister. She's also, she's crushed by the loss of her brother. She's overcome by grief. She, and she literally just kind of falls at Jesus' feet. And, she, and remember, she says to him, Jesus, why weren't you here? So how will he respond now to Mary? Well, it says this in John 11. We continue the story, verse 33. It says this. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him, he asked. And then come and see, Lord, they replied to him. And then John records these two brief, but yet so revealing words. It says, and Jesus wept. God himself began to cry. And when it says Jesus wept, I mean, what we think about as Westerners in kind of a typical American funeral, right? It's, it's more kind of just maybe a single tear down the eye. But in Eastern culture, it's profoundly different. I mean, when, they, when, when the, the kind of the, the, the weeping then, it would be women would wail loudly 
And, and, and the men would, 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 would kind of cry out with, with this, this anguish and, 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 and their open grieving. And so when, G, when Jesus it says Jesus wept, it wasn't just a single tear escaping from the corner of his eye, but he openly and demonstrably just expressed his sorrow for everybody to see, especially Mary. And so in the same way that he responded exactly with what Martha needed, hey, here's the truth, Martha. There's hope. Because I'm the resurrection. This is not the end. In the same way he responded to Martha, now he responds to Mary. And I kind of envision him putting his arm around her, and as he, and he, as he cries, he responds to her, not with truth, but with tears. Not with truth, but with tears. And you might even wonder, well, why, why, does he, why is he crying? I mean, because in in, if we follow the rest of the story, of those who know the rest of the story, I mean, actually he does. He, he brings Lazarus back to life, doesn't he? So there is a truth that this is not the end. It's the most remarkable demonstration, other than his own resurrection, which we'll celebrate next week, of, of Jesus' lordship. He knows that in a matter of days that Lazarus is going to be walking, talking. He's going to have his arm around his sisters. They're going to be reunited. But he sees Mary's grief, and he's filled with empathy. And I think it's so important that we get this, that what breaks her heart breaks the heart of God. What breaks her heart breaks the heart of God. And these two sisters that are experiencing the same devastating loss, both of them basically asking, why? Why? Why did this happen? Why weren't you here? Why didn't you do something? Does that feel familiar to you? Your own experience? Jesus sees these women struggling, and for Martha, he shows up with the truth, the truth that there's a hope. And for Mary, he shows up with tears. Um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the great Christian writers of our time is a guy named Tim Keller out of New York City. And, and Tim put these words together, and he said this. He said, frankly, everybody needs a ministry of truth and a ministry of tears, but at different times. He says, sometimes you need more of the bracing truth. You need to be shaken by a loving friend who says, wake up, look around you. <laughs> There's hope. Sometimes we need that. Other times, you really just need somebody to weep with you. Sometimes to lay the truth on people when they're grieved is absolutely wrong, but other times just to weep with them and not tell them the truth is equally wrong. Jesus Christ is, I love this last line here, Jesus Christ is never strong when he should be tender or tender when he should be strong. One of, the, one of the amazing things about Jesus is I'm telling you, he truly feels what you feel and he knows exactly what you need. I'm telling you, he cares. He's never too busy. Your problem's never too big and it's never too small. And sometimes what he'll do, he'll come to you with truth. Now here's the truth. You've given up hope. And this is not the end. And sometimes he comes to you with tears but he's always here. He is always here. Um, remember my friend Sandy, who was abandoned as a little girl at the train station, left all alone. She went into adulthood, it was many years later, and she told me about a, a remarkable experience that just kind of changed things for her. She was actually in a small group, and the small group she told this story to, and they began to pray for her. They prayed for what they called a, a kind of a healing prayer. And she was a little uncomfortable with it, but she went ahead and told me exactly what happened. She said, as they began to pray, it was like God took me back to when I was eight years old and I had this, like, this vision. I was sitting in the train station. I'm trying to wake up my mom who's passed out and I'm feeling just desperately alone. 
And she said, well, while I could see this, like my eight-year-old me in my mind, she said, suddenly in this vision of replaying the story like I had done hundreds of times, all of a sudden I noticed sitting next to me, close by, sitting next to me with his arm around me, was what looked like Jesus. That Jesus was with me. And that maybe I just didn't know it, but Jesus was with me then, and he's been with me ever since, and that he's with me now. And it's only in retrospect do I know. And, and she said, if Sandy was here to tell you, here's what she'd tell you. She said, I don't know why. I don't know why some of the things happened to me that happened. I don't know why it felt like Jesus wasn't there. But what I do know is that he did. He showed up in my life. He gave me exactly what I needed. And I couldn't see it back then, but I now know that he has always, he's always been here. I'm telling you people, Jesus is here too. And maybe that's exactly the reason Jesus had you here this morning. And you might be saying, well, how's he here? I mean, Mary and Martha, they could see him, they could touch him, they, they were friends with him. How is he here? Let's go back to that. Well, one of the ways that he's very specifically tangibly here is through his spirit, his Holy Spirit. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy that one of the most comforting statements Jesus makes to his followers is something he said just before he left to return to the Father. And he said this in Matthew. He says this, listen, surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And he said, I'm here to remind you of truth through my spirit inside. And I'm also to be present even with tears to mourn with you. And he actually calls him, look at this next verse, he, he calls him an advocate. I'm here to advocate for you. Another translation is to encourage you. Another translation, actually a different version of the Bible says to comfort you. But one of the ways that Jesus is always with you, if you allow him to be, is through his spirit. But there's a second way that he's also always here. Not just through his spirit, but you know what, you know what the church is often referred to in scripture? Different people referred to? The body of what? The body of the body of Christ. That's exactly right. We are actually the physical manifestation, the hands, the feet, the, the mouth, right, of Christ here still on earth. And, and there's this great verse in Matthew 18 that reminds us of it. When we come together, look at this. It says, when two or three, just two or three, just two or three of you, when you come together because of me, you can be sure, what's it say there? I'll be what? Help me out. I'll be what? I'll be there. And so how does Jesus come to us today? He comes to us much the same way that he came with Mary and Martha. Sometimes he comes with the truth. Hey, here's the truth, okay? In the middle of your despair, you've given up hope. But here's the truth. This is not the end. And some of you need to hear that today. But he also comes to you in tears. And he puts his arms around you and he wants you to know, hey, what breaks your heart, you don't know how much it breaks mine. Brent and Kelly King are um, good friends of mine and uh, they're part of our church family here at Community and part of the Yellow Box. Uh, the Kings have experienced what I can only call unimaginable loss. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I'll warn you, their, their story is, is emotional, but it is a powerful story that I think needs to be told. And it's a story um, kind of like Mary and Martha's of one where they discover that Jesus is here. Here's their story. My name is Brent, this is my wife Kelly. We've been coming to Community Christian Church for four years. When we moved back to Naperville the first time, our son Tyler was 13 months old, just starting yeah. to walk, and Chelsea was uh, just beginning kindergarten. Um, we thought we would be out here maybe two or three years, and then 
get shipped back to California, but we were actually here for 10. When Brent came home one afternoon and said, guess what, honey, we're, we're, we're moving back to California, it was not met with a whole lot of enthusiasm. This had become truly our home. When we arrived in San Diego, I, I dove into my job. Um, same company, but a much larger responsibility. Kelly dove into putting the house together. Tyler missed every single moment of Naperville. And Chelsea bloomed in San Diego. Wouldn't you say that? Yeah, it took her about two whole days. <laughs> yeah. We didn't take it for granted, but we, at the same time, had not been attending a church regularly. We weren't giving our thanks to God for this golden time in our, in our lives. We were a beautiful family, and we had so many people surrounding us and gifts surrounding us that if we would have been paying attention, we would have understood. About a year and a half after we had moved back to San Diego, there were a, a tremendous amount of uh, wildfires. wildfires that came through the San Diego area. Part of our house burned down. We were out of our home for over six weeks. About a year after that, my mother passed away. And uh, my mom and I were extremely close. And up to that point, that was the greatest loss that I had suffered. And then three months later, Chelsea went missing. And that's when everything changed. The day she went missing, she hadn't checked in with us. Kelly sensed something was wrong. Her phone was showing up at a park uh, about 10, 15 minutes away from our home. Brent immediately went and uh, drove over to there while I called the, the police. Within two hours, probably 300 people were at the park searching for her. And then by 7 o'clock, the news media had shown up. It had become an event. I pull Kelly close to me, and I bring Tyler next to us. And I said, there's two things that are going to happen. First thing, um, we're going to get Chelsea home. And I chose my words appropriately. Second thing is, as a family, we're going to come out of this strong. And then, after I let them go, I gave everything to God. I surrendered. I surrendered to God. <laughs> God, you have my girl. You love her more than I love her. I love you. Let's get through this. In the one o'clock hour this afternoon, search and rescue crews discovered a body in a shallow grave near the shores of Lake Hodges, believed to be that of 17-year-old Chelsea King. The warm glow from this sea of candles at St. Michael's Church lit up the darkness that hung over Poway tonight. After five days of searching for her and her body was found, I had nothing left to pray for. The one thing that I wanted was my daughter home safely. And so that then turned to anger. So Brent and I were in two completely different spaces at that point in terms of, of how we viewed our relationship with God and how he was going to be there or not be there to get us through this. Brent and Kelly King are still grieving the loss of their daughter. 17-year-old Chelsea King vanished February 25th after going for a jog. Six days later, her body was found in a shallow grave. So the Kings want a new law to better track sexual predators. I promise to do all I can to protect other daughters and other mothers from this incomprehensible nightmare I'm walking through. So we chose to pass Chelsea's law. And what Chelsea's law says is that um, if you commit a sexual assault on a child um, and you violently harm them, you're going to jail for 25 to life. We changed over 25 sentencing laws. We passed something that's called the containment model. People said, I don't know how you're doing this. I don't know how you're getting up at 3 a.m. And, and being on national 
broadcasts and, and flying up to Sacramento and meeting with all these people while you're still trying to grieve your daughter. Our lives became very, very public, um, and it left no room for grieving. So we brought Tyler back here to Naperville. I, I came back on a weekend. Um, we went right back to our old neighborhood that we had lived in for 10 years. It was absolutely <laughs> God's grace working through us and for us. One of my very good friends said, hey, you, you really need to get to church. And I said, where do you suggest? And he said, well, you know, go over, go over to Yellow Box, give it a try. I invited Kelly to come with, and um, at that point she wasn't ready to come. I had the pain of loss of our daughter and the joy of discovering God, and in between there's my balance. What I receive every Sunday at church is a reaffirmation of God's love. It was frustrating and um, hard for me to comprehend that he could find, again, a sense of peace. And not that everything was okay again or that it ever would be right again, but that there was a peace about him. I had the first inkling as I came back to find my way back to God. When I returned back to the place where Chelsea had been found, I was called to go by a voice that was stronger, louder than, than anything that I had control over. When I came to the exact place where they had found her, rather than the sense of, of terror and, and pain and fear, all I knew in that moment was that I was standing in the exact same place that angels had come down to this earth. I knew that they had come down, they had taken Chelsea and brought her to heaven. In that moment, God was so incredibly real to me. You know, that's when I, I decided to come back to church. I started praying probably two months after, um, after we lost Chelsea that, that um, my wife and my son would find Christ. So the day she got baptized was one of my best days in life. Happiest day ever. after being baptized, coming up out of the water. And I felt the weight of, it seemed like a thousand years of sorrow had been lifted off of my shoulders. I found love again. I found joy in my life again. I found strength. And I found the will to go out and say, listen, people, you can do this. You're not alone. You know, you're never alone. And this is coming from someone who thought it was impossible. I, there wasn't even the tiniest speck of light at the end of this tunnel when I started on this journey. But please just don't give up. Don't lose hope. You have to choose hope over everything else. I don't know what, uh, what you're going through today. Uh, maybe, maybe your family's falling apart. Maybe it's a relationship that you cherish that's crumbling. Maybe there's a business that's collapsing or uh, something you've given your life to that seems like it's vanishing. Or maybe it is a loss. A loss of someone you loved or maybe it's just a loss of a dream. And what you've been through is a time when you have felt very much alone and maybe even wondered why. Where were you, God? 
And on this side of eternity, we don't have all the answers to the questions that your head is asking. But I do know this, I know Jesus is here and he has exactly what your broken heart needs. He's here with truth that brings hope and he says, you know what? No, this is not the end. And like Kelly said, choose hope, choose hope. And he's also here with truth. I mean, also here with tears to remind you that the very things that break your heart also break the heart of God. Let's pray. Father God, every one of us, we can point to moments in our lives where um, we did, we felt abandoned, we felt alone, and we had questions of why and where were you. And it felt like, for the most part, what we got back, at least for a season, was just silence. Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray that they, they use the, 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 the truth that comes from the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the truth that also comes from Brent and Kelly King and their family. Lord, I ask that, that that truth resonate both in our minds and our hearts and that we do have a, a resolve and a confidence and a faith that you are here. And you want to go through every part of this with us. Let that be true for every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.